everybody, this is Robin Brady from Carnivorous Couch. Brady, you there? I'm still here. Oh yeah, you're still there. Cooking right along. Uh, we watched the finale of Breaking Bad last night. Yes, we did. I rewatched it again this morning. I will uh, eventually. I've got a lot to say about it. I figured that we kind of had to do a little segment on it. Yeah, sure. Zeitgeisty. Yeah, right? I mean... Well, I mean, okay, going to the very beginning. All right. I love how it just picks up right where the last one left on. doesn't give us any sort of weird cut. It's like... It's like... And they've done this throughout the entire series. They mm-hmm. never really left a cliffhanger. They just always kind of brought it in, you know? Yeah, I mean... Well, I mean, you had the uh, episode that ended... Sorry, too loud. The episode that ended with the uh, shootout had a cliffhanger aspect, but it's never felt exploited. In right, but the next episode picks it right up where it cliffhangs. Right. Right, that's what I'm saying. They never did the, the cheap thing that they always do to you, which is to just cut the damn thing off, you know? Right. Yeah, and never to be returned to until much later. Right, yeah, they don't do the thing where, like, at the beginning of the next episode, they go, oh, okay, well, uh, we're not really going to tell you what the end of that cliffhanger was until the end of the entire episode. Yeah, no, I, I I see where you're going. Yeah, I, I agree there. They didn't cut off on the car in the desert being shot full of holes and then do an episode about... How uh, Skyler and Flynn's day at the A1 car wash and, was. Yeah, and then at the end, get to the, the thing with the holes. Right. Yeah, which a lot of shows do do that. Like, they have a cliffhanger, and then you go like, okay, now I'm going to find out what happened. Oh, God, I have to wait like 20 minutes into the episode before I know what happened. Breaking Bad never did that. They always delivered. They always just said, no, no, we're just going to pick it up where we left off. No, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah, it was never the suspense, even though they've had cutoffs in very tense moments where they end the episode. the Yeah, the source of the tension, I think, has just been from good old-fashioned lean storytelling. At the beginning of the next episode, we return right where we left off, and the suspense is more in, yeah, very, very well-designed plot mechanics. Okay, so telling to that leading into the finale, uh, at the end of the second-to-last episode, we finally get... You know, we've always had this little snippet for the theme song of Breaking Bad, which is like, <laughs> right? Right. But I mean, like at the end, we get the full song for the first time ever. Like, yeah. wh- like in no episode before have we heard the entire song. We get the whole like conga like intro, and then like, <laughs> and like all this shit goes on, and then at the end. You know, the the cops bust in and it, there's just a glass of whiskey that's still full with the tip, the $100 tip or whatever it was. Right. And then we get that, that little tail end of the song. And and you got to think, well, the whole song has been written the entire series. We've just never heard it. Right. And to me, that says, okay, here's the, after this is the finale. We're not holding back anymore. We're going to show you everything. We're not going to do a Sopranos kind of thing where we kind of show you half of it. Even though my feeling on the Sopranos, you know this, is that they did show us everything and it's very clear. A lot of people don't. I, I love the Sopranos ending, yeah. Well, what do you think on the Sopranos ending, by the way? I, I love it. Well, yeah, but do you think Tony Soprano died and that's totally clear? Or do you think it's up to you? Um, I mean, I don't go so far as... It's a yes as or no question. I, I'm afraid I don't have a yes or no answer. I, 
to me, it's. I personally believe he died, but what's more important, we're, we're in a completely different show now. But what's more important to me is just that. I think it's just totally clear that, I, I, that he got shot. I thought that yeah, spoke yeah. to the toxicity of that line of work, that it would be a never-ending state of paranoia yeah, until yeah. your eventual death, which would be inevitable. Right. Because Ab- of absolutely, I agree with that, but I, I just thought it was very clear in the narrative, or in the plot, as it were, of the film, that it was very clear that he died. We didn't have any music in the credits, and every other episode we had the soundtrack of Tony's life. There is no Tony's life anymore, so there is no soundtrack. That's what I always thought about Sopranos. Anyway, we're talking about Breaking Bad. If you have anything to add about Sopranos, you can. I don't want to cut you off. (laughs) No, no. Uh, Yeah, let's let's keep it to Breaking Bad. Opening scene. Knock out the little bit. See if things unlocked. Okay, to me, it's kind of silly, though. Tell us about the opening scene. Yeah, well, he knocks out the little bit of snow to see if the door is unlocked. And then he goes, it is unlocked. And then he opens it. To me, I would have just tried the door. Right? Yeah, no, that makes sense. <laughs> that would have made more sense than trying to figure out if it's unlocked before you try it. I mean, it isn't 90s Volvo, so it probably doesn't have an alarm. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't quite understand why he did that. I guess maybe it was just for our benefit. but Yeah, he might have also been trying to get some sense of his surroundings, too. He's in a car that's completely frosted over with snow. Well, no, it's before he gets in the car, though. Like no, no, he chisels out oh, so oh, okay. that he can see if it's unlocked, and he sees that it's unlocked. I mean, that's mostly to show us, but I mean, I was just was like, well, just try the door, dude. If it doesn't open, it's not unlocked, and get on moving. <laughs> <laughs> and it <laughs> whether or not it was a sound, logical thing to do, it adds suspense later in the right. scene. Because... It well, first he gets in the car, he opens the glove compartment, he finds a screwdriver, he's like, oh, I can screwdriver, I've heard about people starting cars with screwdrivers, and then suspense happens because... Well, suspense happens because, and this is something that a lot of great suspense to me does, is uses simple things. The idea that, you know, you're hiding in a house from a madman, and even the tiniest sound you make to try to fix your situation, to try to improve your situation could be the very thing that gives you away. So Walt rubs the snow Absolutely. off of the car window just to achieve something simple, just like Rob says, just to get in the car. And moments later, we see police siren lights come up, and they flash. We can see them inside the interior of the car. And the thought I had was, wow, just this one simple gesture of rubbing just a little patch of snow off is going to mean that if the police show up and inspect the car, they'll be able to see Walt plain and clear Whereas if the snow was still there, they might not be able to. Right. And then he, he gives kind of a prayer. It's actually the first time, I think, in the film that he actually calls upon God or some sort of higher power. Uh, possibly. Yeah, he's totally humbling himself because the whole the whole thing about Walt is that he's totally, he's omnipotent almost. He loves being like, he thinks he's a criminal mess. It's like Marie says later in the episode on the phone. She's like, that that asshole thinks he's some sort of criminal mastermind. Well, he fucking is. He is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, yeah. Um, but he asked God. He said, "Just, just let me get home. I'll do the rest. I don't, I don't need any favors from you other than to not get caught right now." <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of a big favor to ask. Yeah. But then, as soon as he does that, we get the slow motion shot. He opens the visor, and the key just falls out. Right. <laughs> so that that's something I want to talk about. Um, and I apologize. I can never talk about a thing without analogizing to another thing. I want to quickly go to the ending of 
fairly recent Coen Brothers movie, A Serious Man, which uh, toggles with the idea of God. And at the end of that, that movie ends with a very God-fearing Jewish man, like, eventually, like, <laughs> getting cancer, and we're led to believe that his son might get demolished by a tornado. And to me, what that was always asking was, well, okay, let's talk about God, but what kind of God? Like, who is this guy who's right. governing your universe? Is a God? Or, yeah, he allows, so, he allows Walt to exist. So what... Walt's a very destructive force, right? Yeah, and that's, that is one of my favorite things about Breaking Bad, and I think maintains this right till the end, is what kind of God... Like, normally when you hear about a person who has cancer surviving, it's a miracle. And that goes back to that show, uh, back to the ep- episode in season two, where Walt finally figures out finally finds out that he's clear. He's not going to die from this. Right. How does he end that episode? Spot on. By punching a a hand towel dispenser and seeing his own distorted monstrous image in it. Because in this universe, this miracle of God that normally would just be completely pure and good is essentially a bad thing. A lot of people die because of the miracle, the various miracles that spare Walt's life. Right. But I mean, the same thing. And here's the thing that I think that this show did incredibly well, which is uh, if this show wasn't as well produced as it was, um, we would have lost sympathy for Walt fucking season two. Like when he punches that thing, we would have lost sympathy for Walt. Like, oh, you're not sick anymore? Okay, why are you a mantras motherfucker who just like stabbed somebody with a piece of a plate? Well, at you least know? in that one he's justified because he knows that the guy was trying to kill him. Right, but I mean, like, still. Yeah, still. It, it, it's much easier to incapacitate somebody than it is to kill them. No, yeah, F- yes. Flynn has it right. I, I'm sure other people say it, too. J- just die. Like, this miracle, something that originally should be a good, is twisted to be something very, very bad. Like, right. why so, would you so just does, die Okay, normally? so does God exist, or is it just chaos? I and, don't know. I, and it's just like, if you believe that... that if you believe that there's a possibility of you getting some sort of reprieve from the universe, then you get it when you look for it because you now believe that it's possible. I mean, that's the way I always looked at it. It's like, I can't get this car started with a fucking screwdriver. I might get caught by the cops here. But if you just believe that the universe is going to work out your way and you can truly believe that because you, and as the, you know, from a solipsistic kind of point of view, as the creator of your own universe can create this situation where you're going to be okay, then it, it just opens you up to the possibility to pull down the visor and go, oh, the key's there. I sh- like, whereas if you're a pessimist and you're like, this is going to be hard, I'm going to have to fucking pick this lock, then you're going to make it hard on yourself and have to chisel the thing open and then start it with a mm. screwdriver. That is interesting. Yeah, so I, I my whole thing is that it's not God. It's just the belief that you yourself have work left to do makes you righteous enough to look for the possibility of something to grasp, you know? But then how do we resolve that issue back in season two where Walt very clearly wanted to die and some force, be it God or chance, spares him? Oh, he. but I mean, we resolve that in this episode where he says all the things I was doing, everything I was doing, it wasn't for my family. It was it was for me. In season two, we were led to believe that, no, this is for the family, and I want to, whatever I've done, 
and provided right. for my family to die. But what I'm saying is a cancer diagnosis is obviously out of any, for the most part, out of a human being's hands. That's something that was either up to some heavenly power or just just stone-cold luck or, that he didn't die. Or, or just the sheer thing that he now has something to live for because he's becoming confident. And before he was a chemistry teacher and he was a car wash guy and that was no kind of life for him like he has this will to be more than that once he was more than that he has the will to live the will to overcome the cancer when he doesn't have that he's just a sniveling you know fucking downtrodden guy who's just gonna get beat up by whatever the world has in store for him okay i can see that i mean we're definitely saying something pretty strong here in that we're saying that one's uh you know, one's desire, sudden sen- renewed sense of purpose would be strong enough to turn around a potentially negative cancer diagnosis. Well, you know, most men uh, die within two years of retiring. That's true. That's a good point. Well, that was a stupid thing to say. Hey, everybody. Uh, the study that I was ineptly attempting to reference there is actually... Um, one that finds that men who retire at age 55 are 89% more likely to die within the next 10 years than those who retire at age 65. Anyway, back to the podcast. And sorry for that silly, silly, silly thing to say. Yeah, once you don't have anything to live for, your body kind of takes a hint from that. So, Walt didn't have anything to live for. His cancer was maybe a manifestation of that. Because of the cancer, he uh, tries to generate income. In the course of trying to do that, he generates something he likes, something that he's good at, something that is who he is, and then thus gives himself a reason to live, and then thus fights back the cancer. It's only the self-loathing that allows the cancer to come back. So then what's really going on in that bathroom punching scene is that part of him thinks that he wanted to die, but really, there's a part of him all along that wanted to live. Realize he never, he hasn't been living. He hasn't been living since he left the company that Oliver and Gretchen ran. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. That's that's actually a very interesting interpretation. Well, that was just my interpretation. I, I like it. You're welcome to your own. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm, I'm kind of with that. I think the monster we see in that uh, hand dispenser is... The life force of Walt. Huh. I don't know. All right, let's... <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down some note, but I, I can't decipher it. Well, uh, moving on to the next scene. What's the next scene? Uh, the next scene? Uh, yeah, after <laughs> he gets out of the car. The cop rolls by. He doesn't get captured. Right, then, then he ends up at the gas station. Yes, and he's on the phone. Oh, he doesn't talk to the agent. That's what that says. That's an A. Um... He's basically at the thing. He doesn't talk to the agent. He likes, you know, he takes the water from the fill your, uh, you know, cover your tire with water mm-hmm. sort of hose. To you know, it, that's for anybody who has never had to look for a leak in their tire. Uh, the the water thing is to cover your tire with water to see if you can see bubbles on your tire, if you have like a nail in it or something. Huh? Yes, I did not know that myself. But anyway, he uses that water to spray out his mouth so that he can swallow a pill, which is his medication, uh, because he doesn't want to talk to the agent. He doesn't want to draw attention to himself. He doesn't want to expose himself to possibly somebody 
else. Hey, well, he's got a national manhunt. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that was the thing I tried to write down that would make sense. But uh, anyway, yeah, so he sets up uh, the whole thing, gets um, Elliot and Gretchen's address, right? I mean, that's about all there is to that. This is just a plot point that shows us. Oh, he he puts the watch on top of the uh, payphone. Yeah, the watch that uh, Jesse Pinkman gave to him. R- right, but I mean, as Vince Gilligan revealed, that was just for continuity's sake. <laughs> <laughs> because he, he didn't have the watch in the scene where he gets the thing. Um, I guess the artsy-fartsy reason he cited was, well, he doesn't need this thing anymore, so he puts it on top of the thingy. Right, he's he's a man out of time. Right. See, I like that interpretation a lot more, and I don't understand why he didn't just say that. Like, yeah, he's, I guess he's, he's honest. He's <laughs> out of time. Oh, well. So anyway, uh, he goes on to uh, Oliver and Gretchen's place. Obviously, he tricks them into feeling like they are hitman. By Badger and Skinny Pete, which made me so happy to see them again. I'm like, is that? Uh, me yes, too. it is. It is Badger and Skinny Pete. Yes. Oh, by the way, I took a um, I took a survey about how it will end, and I think to win the survey you had to get two or more questions right, and I basically just put down that Walt kills everyone, <laughs> <laughs> and dies of cancer, and uh, that was just kind of as a gag for myself. But it turns out that I was more or less correct on you know maybe sixty to seventy percent of the questions, of which there were fourteen. So oh well, well yeah. done. Because I said Walt kills everyone, and he kills a lot of people. <laughs> He just killed a lot of people. Um, so anyway, wh- where are we? Uh, um, oh, we're at the part where he's in the house and he's getting the rice and we're flashing back to him getting the rice. And right. Yes. And we get a flashback to Hank. Right? Yeah. Uh, at the probably the very first or second episode of the season. This is the first. First episode of the season. And uh, to me, anything that references Hank and Hank and... Walt's mind references three episodes ago where Hank says to Walt, uh, when Walt's trying to save his life, he says, you're the smartest guy I knew, but you don't understand his mind was already made up ten minutes ago. And to me, what that line means, and any reference of Hank means, kind of throughout the entire show, was the path that you're on ten minutes ago is the start of the series. As soon as you got your cancer diagnosis and decided that you had to do something different for your family or for yourself or for whatever reason to feel alive or whatever whatever the reason is, as soon as you started down that path, the result of that path was already determined. And so when we see a flashback to Hank, it's just recalling that line. Like, your, um, you know, your mind was already made up as soon as you started to cook meth. Yeah, no, I I can see that. That I think, and I think that's a facet of, of really great tragedies. And I think Breaking Bad, at the end of the day, is a great tragedy. Is this right. deterministic idea of we know he's going to downfall. Anything you wanted to do to stop this course, like it's just a little bit too late. Yeah. Like, did you see that movie with? Uh, it was like the last one Lumet made, I think, uh, before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Uh, Sydney Lumet. Yeah, with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Ethan Hawke. I think i have i think i saw it on showtime or something back when they actually showed movies uh, <laughs> yeah that's about its own like a heist oh by the way the but season finale was great showtime take note that's how you finish off a season and that's how you run a fucking series anyway go on brady <laughs> I mean, 
there's just like one line in that that's like a flashback after the main character's you know plan to rob a store has already gone woefully awry and people have been hurt and the tragedy is basically right. Yeah, on yeah course. I do know that. Yeah, and it flashes back and Philip Seymour often has Ethan Hawke who's having these doubts and he just looks at him. He's like, no, <laughs> by no, the no. way, spoiler I for if if you. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're, we're just funny everything. <laughs> but we he, didn't even tell them we were going to spoil says this. Like, <laughs> he basically just says to him like, just stop like. If you wanted to think about this to make a rational choice, it's too late for that. The time for thought, it's gone already. It's over. And, I mean, that that's basically all of Breaking Bad. It's like, as soon as he's broken bad, it's just over. You know, like, like the downfall decision has already been made. He will eventually fall. It's just how long and when. But he is the smartest guy that Hank ever knew. He's probably the smartest guy that he's smarter than any of us in real life. <laughs> no, yeah. So yeah. I mean, like, like, fucking brilliant. It's it's amazing because some of the things that he does in the sh- like, okay. So this, I, ho- I hope you've watched the episode if you're listening to this, but <laughs> because we didn't give us our normal, this is spoilerful at the end, uh, or spoilerful at the beginning of this particular segment. But the f- <laughs> okay, if you said about any other cop show, like. Yeah, he built a machine gun turret that basically kills all the bad guys in the end. If you said that about any other show, you'd be like, oh, what a contrived, shitty ending. Yeah. But, I mean, in this, it's just so well done and so well put together. And the fact that Walt, uh, our rooting for Walt, how much we want to root for Walt, and how smart Walt is, just in general, and, like, how lucky he is kind of and how we we mm-hmm. feel vindicated whenever a stroke of luck passes his way because it happens throughout the series just like wow that shouldn't have happened but it did and we're glad it did and and that happens so often that you know like if if you had said this is the ending to any series of uh csi miami <laughs> you, you would have just been like well that's such a contrived piece of bullshit ending nobody's that smart but i mean in this it's actually believable you know right so, I mean, like, that on its own is amazing because most TV shows can't convince you that this is a viable <laughs> ending for a show. Uh, so, anyway, let's uh, let's cruise right along and um, um, move back to... Uh, so, we got Gretchen and Elliot, and Walt kind of comes in, and he does... He does the whole rhetoric thing that you would do as if he came over to somebody's house for dinner. <laughs> <and> he just <laughs> kind of goes like, I like your new place. You guys look great. I saw you on TV. That was nice. And he's just, you know, and then everything turns as soon as Walt or all uh, is it Oliver or Elliot? Uh, it's Elliot. Yeah, okay. I was right. I keep calling him Elliot. So if it was Oliver, I was going to feel kind of stupid. But anyway, he's got a <laughs> little dicey knife out and he just... Like, up until then, Walt's been really sweet and just kind of like a normal person then. And it turns around and he's like, you want me to be Heisenberg? All right, I'm Heisenberg. If it were going to go that way, you'd need a bigger knife. (laughs) Which, (laughs) I mean, to me, is a line that's just going to stick with me. What did you say about that? You said that, or maybe it was Ben Stein, our mutual friend, who said that's like a total airman trout line. That is, that is like that something that Mike would say, and like Walt has learned that from Mike throughout his travels. Like it's almost yeah, said in Mike's voice. It's like, 
Oh, Elliot, if I were going to go that way, you're going to need a bigger knife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess with him staring death in the face at that point, he's probably the most collected we've seen him maybe the entire show. Well, I mean, like th- that whole entire scene just, I mean, it really drives home the fact that throughout this entire process, Walt has learned how to turn on Heisenberg, turn off Heisenberg, be helpless like at at will, he can just do all these things at will. He's learned all the colors, like necessary in, in acting parlance, like right. all the colors necessary to kind of manipulate whichever kind of thing that appeals to each individual person. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what was the what were the thing that we were talking about when he's like circling around them after the laser pointers and blah blah blah? Oh. oh. <laughs> what were we talking about? I, I was talking about shadows, like how he starts to drift. Like around this time that he starts to put on these different colors, he starts to drift in and out of the shadows. And like he leans in over um, Gretchen's shoulder mm-hmm. into the shadow of her face, which is cast by the, yeah. um, by the, it's not the key light because that's back there. It's not the fill light. It's the other light. There's key, fill, and I can't remember the third one. I'm a horrible film major. <laughs> it's okay. But he sticks his face in the shadow of that light. And it just like shows like the darkness that he's able to portray at will. But anyway, that's about the end of that scene, right? <laughs> yeah, I, there is like one thing that I like. There's a little bit of language that I really liked in that when he's threatening them. And he's saying, you know, you might feel safe for a bit, but one day... At some point, and he's what he says is, you might be in Santa Fe, you might be in Manhattan, Prague, you might be in Prague, and I just took note that I I really love that escalation of language, like the economic escalation of just that, and, and all this is coming from a guy who, for all his grand arc, Walt, for all his grand ambitions, start of the show to the end of the show is a guy who dies in Albuquerque, the place he started exactly the way he expected (laughs) to. And and the most exotic place he gets to go is New Hampshire (laughs) in a cabin out in the middle of nowhere. The Granite State. Yeah, where Grandy's from. Oh, if only Grandy were here to talk about this. Grandy would have probably had something to say. Oh, well. Could have gotten on a New Hampshire tangent. Yeah, exactly. But uh, this is bonus material. It's not really about tangents, right? It's all about tangents. Everything's about tangent. Yeah. Okay, so we go from there to the Skylar scene. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Oh no, 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 no. We go to um. Yeah, right. No, I th- I'm pretty sure we or go to Jesse. Jesse making the box. Which to me, I just thought it was like Jesse, like dreaming of where he um. Dreaming of where he could be, like putting himself at his own perfect little place, um. And then Brady pointed out that he was talking about the box that he made. Yeah, I took it as a flashback to... Which it absolutely is. Yeah, one of the early episodes, Jesse, especially in the early runs, is seen as this underachiever, and that's really one of the biggest components that defines his relationship to Walt, is the student to the teacher, and the student who never is quite able to do right. You need to apply yourself, Jesse. (laughs) And it's... So there's just this one story about how he actually does put his all 
into a shop project to make this box, I think for his mother. Uh, and the punchline to the story is he eventually ends up selling it for drug money, I believe. Yeah, because it was a nice box. He even made it with tongue and groove and all sorts. Of, like, they show him making it, and it was like, wow, that takes some skill. <laughs> and so, uh, kind of bringing it back to what a perverted entity, perverted deity, or lack of a deity governs this universe, is at this point in the show, Jesse is someone who applies himself. Jesse is someone who is, uh, you know been able to get over a lot of obstacles. He's a much more mature person than he was when we first found him. And yet all of that, all that expertise, all of that application, all that achieving of his full potential is being used essentially in, uh, in captivity. So he's being forced now to use the skills that he worked so hard uh, to achieve to essentially help Todd make a fake product. And so I, I found that a very interesting sort of tweaking of this notion. Because I think the show tweaks a lot of these bootstrap mentalities. It certainly tweaks what the importance of money it is. You know, this idea of whatever you do to help your family is justified. And so I, in terms of thinking of this show as, as something that deals with ideas of entrepreneurship and, you know, money being the end-all be-all of, why we do things. I think that's a the end all be all of worth. Yeah. You know, like worth. being good at something means that you generate money with it. Which I mean to me at this point I, I go like I have so little money I'll just be clear to myself that m- like money doesn't matter. That that's the way I look at yeah. things right now. I don't have enough of it for it to matter. If I was dealing with $20,000 or more, maybe that would be enough money for it to matter to me. But at the moment I've got, like, a couple hundred dollars to spare to die. <laughs> so, I mean, like, to me, it's like, I, I can't. That, that's just my side tangent about how I view money. But, I mean, like, really, like, this as a form of a reiteration of our media, like, uh, this media as a form of a reiteration of our societal values basically says money is the def- definition of worth. And, um, but, however, that's not entirely true. Because, yes, Walt has his $9.7 million and some, like, he knows exactly how much it is because he's that fucking smart um, and that fucking meticulous about keeping track of the math. But um, that he doesn't care about the other seven barrels when it comes down to it. But uh, we'll get to that scene. Uh, I guess the scene that we're at right now is when he meets up with Todd and... um, what the hell is that? Lydia. Lydia. Yes. Lydia. 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 Yeah, Todd. Lydia. Lydia. Say what you want about Todd. He's smart enough to know who the Marx Brothers are. Oh yeah, that's true. But anyway, it's animal um, crack. Well, I mean, this scene isn't really that important, other than it shows us uh, the time that Walt can put the fucking. Uh, there's only one packet of Stevie at the table she sits at because she comes in the same day every fucking week and sits at the same table and orders the same thing and puts the goddamn Stevie in her coffee. Or Walt took the rest. Right, Walt took the rest and then put the rice in, in that one packet of Stevia. Right. Because he knows that she's going to sit there at that point in time, at that day, and so forth and so on. But anyway, um, other than that, this scene just basically shows us Walt 
setting up, having a fake coughing fit to show that he was weak, so forth and so on, so that he can get the meeting with Jack, who's the, which is the meeting he really wants. Right. So. Um, so anyway, I mean, that scene's not really poignant in any way. It just shows, you know, it's a plot point for Yeah, us it's part of his plan. Exactly. Because that even that plan he suggests is a complete fake-out. So when he finally ends up at the compound with Uncle Jack, he needs to look like he has this other motive. Right. And then, so after that, he goes to Skylar and gives Skylar the uh, GPS coordinates of Hank's burial site mm-hmm. and stuff so she can make a deal. Uh, I, I thought that was brilliant. That was a brilliant reveal, by the way, because uh, they've done this several times in the show where, like, Walt is sitting in the room or somebody's sitting in the room and you don't know who it is. Um, but they, they keep it just real tight on them. And then you go, like, oh, that person's sitting in the room talking to them. And as soon as they hang up the phone, we're going to hear the dialogue between those two people. But this scene did the exact opposite. It took a really wide shot, kind of convincing you, like, look, it's okay. Walt's not here. That thing that we normally do, we're not doing that because obviously Walt's not here. But there's this one fucking pillar in the middle of the shot, which is, it's just this little skinny pillar, which not only hides Walt, but also like shows us how skinny and and tiny Walt has become. Oh, that's interesting. And actually, if you look at, uh, if you actually look at the shot, uh, the first exposing shot is the entire thing is square. But right. But I think, and I don't have any evidence to show this, but upon rewatching a couple times, it looks like they actually took the back wall of that set and moved it back further and kind of created an optical illusion to make Walt seem smaller. Huh, okay. Like, that if they hadn't moved the back wall back, that he would be bored up in the frame. Hmm. But, like, just by moving the back wall back, it, it was something either that or they took the camera back further or something. But they made Walt smaller than he actually would be in relation to the wall, the way the wall was created. I mean, that's just what I was seeing when I kept rewatching. I'm like, how did they make him seem so small? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, they must have moved the back wall or, or done something. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's like an in a behind the scenes or something like that. Either that or I could just be a crazy person and they just shot it really well. No, man, you're, you're our composition expert. <laughs> composition. Uh, I've never composed a shot in my life because I can't do that sort of shit. I can just notice it when other people do it. Um, anyway, uh, so yes, Walt, they did this, they just did that so well. Because normally, like, the way that's done is just tight on your face. And then we pull back, and then we see the other person. But this was the opposite. It was, we're pulled back, and we're convinced that the other person isn't there. But they are there in that little spot mm-hmm. that we totally showed you. And they did it from several different angles, but they did it in a way that when they panned around, there's Walt. So, I mean, it was just so well done. It was, it was just playing with your expectations of, if we were going to do this, you would expect to see this. You're not seeing this, so you're going to assume that we're not doing that. But we are. <laughs> so anyway, uh, everybody knows. I, I, anybody who's listening to this better goddamn well have seen the episode. Here's the thing about this episode. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say this right now and go out on a limb. I feel like if there was somebody who was like, I don't want to watch Breaking Bad. I don't want to get into that whole thing. It's been a big fad. I'm sick of hearing about it, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, well, if you want to get the gist, just watch the finale. 
I feel like you could tell somebody, if you're only going to watch one episode of Breaking Bad, just watch the finale, and you'll get the gist of who the characters are, what the foibles are, and kind of just, like, the feeling of the show. Like, you, you won't get the nuances, you won't really get much of Pinkman, you won't get much of a lot of it. But you yeah, I mean, this episode stands on its own to the you could watch it from the beginning to the end and be rooting for Walt somehow. Yeah, no, it's absolutely standalone. Uh, I mean, if anything, the reason why I wouldn't say that you should just watch this one is I feel well, it's a great show. You yeah, should watch this it's show. It's a great show. Um, but if you were only going to watch one and episode, you won't know exactly who Hank one. is when he talks about him. So th- there are some nuances, but also. I feel like if you just watch this episode, you might find yourself solely and completely rooting for Walt. And it's so much a richer experience because there's this no, guilt wrapped absolutely. up. Absolutely, but you need a certain number of episodes to create that. Oh, yeah. And so if they're only going to watch one episode, just watch this one. And it might very well inspire them to see the whole thing, which would be a shame because now you've seen how it ends. This, this episode <laughs> is totally standalone. And if you're listening to this, you already know most things about the episode. But that said, most things? just watch the show itself. <laughs> Not all the things, just most <laughs> of the things. We're about to reveal to you some stuff that you've never thought about before. Maybe. <laughs> that would be that would be our hope, is that we're that good. But we're just Brady and Rob. So. Ah, yeah, it's us. Um, so, anyway, after the uh, Skylar thing, we basically go... To him making, well, I think prior to this point, we've seen him making the turret in the desert. Yep. Which, I mean, I think was just blatant. It's like, yes, he's making a turret. Even though that even played with expectations because part of me thought that the standoff would end up in the desert. Yeah. I was wondering if he was going to go back to the original location. Yeah, I was thinking maybe it would be at Hank's gravesite that he'd somehow lure them back there. And I was wondering why and how he would do that. Right. Uh, yeah, but there is that scene. So the next scene, he goes and pulls over, and the guy goes, oh, this is a classic, and blah, blah, blah. He's being all jovial with him. He says, just pull up right here, and then he Walt parks all wonky. And then he goes like, no, just pull... St- well, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And, I mean, all, all this stuff is basically self-evident of the thing. Uh, I guess the thing I wanted to get to was when... Um, Okay, a lot. Of, uh, I, I did see a lot of criti- criticism on the internet about uh, Frank. Is it Frank? Frank? Jack. Sorry. Jack. Jack. Jack bringing in Pinkman just because Walt like insulted him. Um, as you know, that's kind of a contrived plot device. You just kind of have to accept that that happened. Which I mean, like, if the guy was gonna be smart, he wouldn't allow himself to get dragged into that sort of thing, right? Uh, yeah, I mean... But maybe he did, like, feel like... I mean... Walt puts together a... Walt, Walt's right about... about yeah, about taking his plan, taking his point, though, and being like, you said you'd kill Pinkman and you didn't do it. Yeah. And then the guy's like, well, it just wasn't in my best interest to kill him. It's just like, and you made him your partner. He's like, I didn't make him my partner. But, I mean, also that scene has so much power because he makes Walt face Pinkman and he's just saying, like, this is my partner. It's my buddy, and it's like basically like saying like th- you know, I know that Jack is saying it in his point of view from Pinkman trying to prove right. to Walt that he's not a partner, 
But I mean, like, just the dichotomy and the, oh, like, we don't see Jack. We don't see a shot of Jack saying nah. that. We just see Walt and Pinkman. We see the and, two and poles regarding each other again. We just have this voiceover of, like, you're my partner. You're my buddy. You're my partner. You're my buddy. Like, you're, uh, this is how you treat a partner? This is how you fucking treat a par- partner? This is not how you treat a partner. Yeah. And, it, and it's just, like, vindicating what he's done to Jesse. Which I thought was just, like... It's just so perfect. Yeah, especially since it leads up to a moment of, of recon- uh, well, the most reconciliation we can get between the two, I'd say. Right. Yeah, we're basically, Walt gives him, well, okay, so everybody dies except for Jack, who get, gets wounded, and Todd. Right. And, and I, Jack goes like, no, wait. And then he grabs a cigarette and takes a drag off it. And I'm just, I was just assuming that he wanted to die smoking a cigarette. But yeah. I, guess, I guess he thought that he could live somehow oh like i mean Walt he was shoot him. but was i mean it looked, it, looked, it looked like he was dead <laughs> like he was gonna bleed out right? yeah i think he was like died. his lung was punctured like yeah he was gonna drown on his own blood at the very least sorry oh caution this might be a graphic uh podcast anyway um uh so anyway th- it's very telling when he goes you want the rest of your money and Walt just goes blam no I don't and then Jesse just kind of looks at him and that's when we have the showdown I mean all this yeah, stuff no, see what I love about that is yeah you take this I mean to me this is just self-explanatory I think everybody can well, I mean this I, one I, out. it's just a short thing because I think this is one of the big big themes that the show has been building toward is kind of revealing or not revealing but removing these false reasons for why Walt has been doing what he's been doing since the beginning uh, from the very outset when he decided to cook meth. And so earlier in this episode with the scene with Skylar, we get a reveal of what I think is something that we might have known already at this point, which is that the family maybe had less to do with it than Walt was deluding himself even into thinking. And he finally has the cojones to tell Skylar that, okay, this wasn't for the family. It was for me. It was for my ego. But at that point, I think we can still maybe think that the money might be part of that ego, that it's something that he wants for himself. If he's doing this all for himself, right. but we maybe he still wants it. it definitively, it's not. Because In that moment, scene, yes. the money. So now we've removed the family, the money, and we can see now fully that this is completely a matter of ego. It's, yeah, it's all Walt. And so um, yeah, it was interesting. I, I think the only thing, other thing to add beyond that that I can think of is, a, how amazing is Aaron Paul for that shot? Just of the laughing, crying Aaron Paul. Like, I great don't, exit. I do. I do not know many actors who, like that. That shot is literally, I think, maybe three and a half seconds long. Yeah, like, like yeah. what we see <laughs> of it. And I praise them so much for where, where he starts to scream and he goes, yeah, and they just cut it. Like, we don't need to see the entire thing. They just cut it. And and we just know. And, and like, it's it's like, it's, I'm sure Aaron Paul's acting, he did probably 20 seconds of that take. <laughs> at least, maybe a minute and a half, maybe four minutes. I don't know how much of it he did, but um, I'm, I'm sure all of it was just as phenomenal as that three and a half seconds. But just to show us that three and a half seconds of just, like, just, like, that motherfucker made me get locked up, but he saved me. 
but that motherfucker Todd locked me up. But it's because of Walt. But then Walt gave me Todd. But then I'm I'm free. But the, like just like all the spilling of all the dichotomy. Like Walt's <laughs> dead at least though. He's gonna bleed out and die. But uh, he came and saved me. But he put me in there in the first place. But he saved me. Like, like just all of that is shown in like three and a half seconds of Aaron Paul laughing and crying yeah. at the same time. And it's just like, I don't know how you get that out of a, out of a actor. Like, I don't, I don't know if it's direction or if it's just the actor or like I don't know how you get that out of an actor. You know. Well, I mean, uh, this is something uh, Ben told me. My roommate Ben Stein. I don't know. You you probably you might know this. Uh, you know that the Aaron Paul character was originally going to be a short run character. Right. Yes. He was just he was just going to be Walt's entrance into the thing. But so the the very existence of Jesse Pinkman is is that now we can say one of the characters who actually survives the entire run of the show. Aaron Paul's uh, talent essentially elevated, convinced the writers to elevate Jesse Pinkman from basically a character that would introduce Walt into this world into the full-time character that he became. Uh, so I mean, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, he's fantastic. Well, I guess, I guess we've basically gone through the entirety of uh, the Breaking Bad finale in, well, it looks like less than the time of the Breaking Bad finale, which was... That's pretty good. That's it was that's like good. an hour, and we did it in 45. Okay. So, yeah, that's, that, I think we got pretty in-depth, and we just took care of it. All right. Well, that's your uh, your bonus carnivorous couch for this week because we're both big Breaking Bad fans and we're gonna miss the show. And well, I guess now I'll have to get Brady to catch up with Boardwalk Empire. So uh, you can watch the second best thing that's airing on TV right now. <laughs> I, I also need to do Mad Men. I'm trying to decide what uh, to do next. Boardwalk Empire is better than Mad Men, and there's less of it, so it's faster to catch up. Okay. But Mad Men's good, but there's a bit of a lull there. But seasons two and three it's it's fine but i mean it's not and it's all relevant but it's just not as good as it's gotten in the past two seasons ah oh so so the later seasons are the better ones well the first two are really good and in season three four a little little bit of a low it's all totally relevant and it's all cool but season season two i think it's season two that gets really into identity and in season four and five gets into changing identity like the the entire show is kind of based on uh this is my identity oh wait my identity was never my identity okay so this is my new identity oh wait that's changing now too oh wait now that's changing oh wait now i'm a new person oh wait now i'm a new person again i mean that's that's the entire basis of the show is like okay. representing yourself to the outside world uh, but I mean, like that point doesn't really get driven home properly. Like it doesn't find its true voice until maybe uh, the fourth and fifth seasons get really good on that. Oh, okay. And the most recent season is really good on that. I'm not sure if that's the fifth or the sixth, but um, it does start to kind of delve down. Like it starts off the first season is just look at what the '50s used to look like. This was only 50 years ago. Right. We've come so far, you know. But the second season starts to talk about the identity of the nation in terms of I, John Hamm's character. But anyway, that's uh, yeah, okay, catch, up well. catch up on that. It's really good. Boardwalk Empire is also really good, but I don't think it's found its voice in the theme the way Mad Men has. But I would say do Boardwalk Empire because I would rather 
talk about how cool that shit is with you. That's very honest. I will take that into consideration. All right, folks. Well, um, we've done keeping up my housemates because they're probably going to bed now. Yeah. And uh, thanks for helping us keep them up. <laughs> and uh, we hope to see you on another episode of a uh, carnivorous couch uh, next. Next Monday, I guess, because we got to push it off because of hardly strictly blue glass. Hardly strictly blue glass. Well, this is the the Breaking Bad episode, so hardly strictly blue glass. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, it's gonna be awesome. Anyway, uh, talk to you guys soon. Todd should have called his (laughs) private. All right. Well, um, rock on, and uh, we all mourn the end of the show together. Stay strong. (laughs) (laughs) Carnivorous couch. It happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch. With Brady and Rob.